listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. So here at 1 Corinthians 15.58, as we get into the Word of God here, um, last week we looked at that one verse, the very last verse of that passage. And, and I, I trust that maybe even some of you have taken it to heart this week and have memorized it. To be steadfast, to be immovable, to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. For the work that we do in the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. And right here in this passage, it becomes our marching orders to be steadfast, to be immovable in our convictions, in our commitments before the Lord. But it talks about also being always abounding, and, and, and that's, that's given it in the work of the Lord. And you know what? We so easily, abounding in other things comes so easily to us, doesn't it? I mean, we can abound in our pleasure, looking for opportunities just to relax and take it easy. And, and, and in, our, in our pleasure or our leisure time. Or, or, I mean, we can abound in making money. And some of you are gifted in that. And that's a good thing, you know, to be able to abound and, and to be passionate about things. But one thing he's telling us here is to be passionate about the work of the Lord. Lord. We can be passionate about our careers, our education, be passionate and, and, and always abounding in physical fitness. Again, good thing to do, taking care of our bodies. We can abound in watching episode after episode of Netflix. Isn't that amazing that once you start going, it just, before it even comes to a complete end, it says the next show will start in what? Three, two, ah, just another show, you know? And, and so good for you. Did you abound in a TV series on Netflix this, this summer? Probably. You know, I mean, we do these kind of things, and, and um, we need to be abounding in the work of the Lord. And we're reminded that the work that we do in the Lord, it's not in vain. Have you ever watched a movie? Have you ever come to a movie? Maybe even here in this movie house and you walked out of here and just said, that was a waste of time. You know, that was a waste of eight bucks or 10 bucks or if you go to, you know, 15 bucks or 25 for one person if you buy popcorn and, and the drink and the candy and the movie and all that kind of thing, you know. And so, so, so in that, um, you know what, we can be abounding in that, but we, you know, it's, it's in vain. It's totally in vain. But when it comes to the work that we do for God, it's never in vain. Here are some things that we can be abounding in, and I trust you were this past week, abounding in the word of God, abounding in prayer, abounding in worship, personally and corporately, abounding in sharing our faith. Any of you take opportunities this past week to, to share your faith with someone? I trust that you did. Look for those opportunities to open up those opportunities to start sharing your faith. Serving others, serving for God's kingdom. Were you abounding in the work of the Lord this past week? You know, and, and, and this is, is such a great verse that we looked at last week and kind of touching on this week as, as we're starting in a new location. And, and, uh, but you know what? This is a great verse whether or not this church continues to meet here for the next three years, five years, 50 years, where whatever it might be that we are always abounding. Because churches and Christians, we have a tendency to hit cruise control, don't we? At times we have a tendency to just kind of, you know what, take our foot off the gas pedal. And, and, and the church is not to be a cruise ship. 
And sooner or later, oftentimes, we choose churches and we attend churches and we are at a church and, 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 and we, we're there for the amenities, you know, and, and, and the goal of, of the church leaders are to make sure everyone's comfortable. You know, you know what, my job is to help you to be uncomfortable, to keep you, keep pushing and, 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 and as well pushing myself in, in areas of godliness and, and in service for God and, and not hitting that cruise control sort of thing and becoming a cruise ship kind of church. This is a verse that is a call to action. But why do we do it? Are we doing it to, to earn our way to God? To one day hopefully make it to God? To set an example because of, you know, just, you know, because it's a good thing to do. Why do we do this? What's our motivation? I mean, this is a great verse in, in verse 58. But why do we do it? Well, the whole 57 other verses tell us why we do this. It gives us the our marching orders, um, and the reason why we do this. Sometimes in the midst of our busyness and the chaos of life, we can easily forget what we are really supposed to be doing. And like I said last week, verse 58 is the gospel culture. It gives us, you know, our, our motivation and, and what we are to do. But today we're going to look at the gospel doctrine. We're going to look at the first number of verses in this passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. This passage, this entire chapter has been called the resurrection chapter. You might want to write that down in your Bibles. Encourage you to write that resurrection chapter. And, and because Paul shares how Christ's resurrection from the dead paves our resurrection from the dead one day. And he talks about the new life that we can have because of Christ. And it's these verses we're going to look at today gives us the gospel doctrine, why we're doing what we're doing, why we're living verse 58 out. Paul is basically saying in these verses, in this entire chapter, but especially in the verses today, he's saying, don't forget, don't forget. What are some of the things, I mean, I heard that statement this past week when I was talking to Charlotte and I was out and about and I, I called her and I said, do you need me to pick up something? And, and you know, she told me what to pick up and, and uh, you know, and then it's like, don't forget to do this. We need this. This is crucial, you know, and so thankfully this week I remembered, but sometimes I don't always remember. Um, okay, kids, I need some help for you. What are some of the things that mom and dad may tell you to do? And they say, don't forget to what? Clean your room. Yeah. And did you clean your room this week? Yes. Okay. Dad, did he clean his room this week? Okay, so your brother cleaned. Okay, well, dad may have a different uh, interpretation of some of that. What are some other things that, that, that parents sometimes tell you kids that you should don't forget to sweep the floor? Okay, another thing. Don't forget to vacuum. Boy, a bunch of clean freaks here. That's wonderful. You know, uh, parents, I hope. What else? How about don't forget to... Clean the bathrooms, and, and maybe don't forget to put the seat down. That's another thing. That's a good, courteous sort of thing. And all the women said, yeah, okay. And don't forget to brush your teeth. Don't forget to put on sunscreen. Heard that a lot in our house this past summer and when we had people visiting. And sometimes we'll tie a string on, on, on our finger. I mean, that was maybe a little more old-fashioned. Now people just write on, on their on their you know, hands or wrists or, or, or someplace so they remember you set reminders on your phone or different things because there are certain things that we can't forget. And so Paul is saying here, 
don't forget, remember this. And so he's getting pretty excited here when he's telling them this in 1 Corinthians 15. And so I'm going to start out the first thing here because he's saying in this passage, don't forget the gospel. Because we see, first of all, the gospel is good news in verses 1 and 2. The, go- the word gospel literally means, you may want to write this down so that you know, the, the word gospel literally means good news. And this is the message that Paul preached to them for 18 months when he was their pastor in Corinth. And now he's writing to them and he said, don't forget this. This is important. This is the longest verse in the epistles that we have. I mean, Paul just gave these 58 verses out there because he says, this is so important. So listen to this in, in verse one. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, sometimes we hear good news and we say, oh, isn't that good news? I mean, this past week, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, you know, I I, I was really setting them up to do something last week. And of course, they lost again. And so across Saskatchewan and around across Canada, wherever you find Rider fans, we had some good news this past week. They fired their coach. And they took out the general manager as well. And so we're like, that's good news. But you know what? That really doesn't change my life very much. We hear other aspects of good news. I heard this past week that McDonald's is going to be serving breakfast all day long. For some, is that good news? Is that good news for you? You're like, right on? Sorry, it's not so good. Not available in Canada, I understood. So, you know, it's only in the United States. But I did hear that Starbucks this year for the first time is going to put real pumpkin in their pumpkin spice latte. In, in the past, they've been putting fake stuff in there, but now they're going to put, along with some of the fake stuff, they're going to put some of the real stuff. Isn't that good news? Sure, you know, again, this really doesn't affect our lives very much. I mean, we hear oftentimes this good news and, and that, but it really doesn't affect us in, in, in a major way. What Paul is telling them here is this is good news. This is going to change your life. This is stuff we cannot forget. The gospel literally means this good news. And, and it's not just information, it's, it's transformation when we take and we receive Christ in our lives, when we understand the gospel, we receive the gospel, it's life-changing. And it's all because of what we've been singing about, what, what Duane was reading about earlier, about Jesus Christ dying for us, the man of sorrows. Because of the cross, Jesus in my place, my sin, my shortcomings, my failures, my rebellion, my dark stained past has all been forgiven. That is amazing news. That is good news. That is what we get to celebrate because that changes our lives. That changes our eternities. That changes the the aspect in our lives of, of the guilt and the shame and the cloud that we can so often live under. We're set free from that. The gospel is good news because of Christ. And you know what? We never, ever move beyond this, folks. Never move beyond the gospel. Never move beyond this truth. Because even Paul says, you've received this good news, but you also stay in this good news, and it will continue in the future to be good news because you're going to keep needing the gospel in your life on a daily basis. Because as life continues, we mess up. And when life continues, we make mistakes, we, we sin, we, 
sometimes knowingly and sometimes, you know, sins of, of omission, of just things we don't do that we should have done that we didn't even realize it. And, and we're able to confess those areas to God and the gospel forgives because of what Christ has done. We are saved. The gospel is this good news, Christ in our place. Have you received Christ? Have you received this good news? Do you know Christ in a personal way? Have you built your life on this truth? We never beyond, move beyond this. We keep going deeper and deeper into it and just this free gift of what Christ has given. But to receive the gospel, I, I'm going to be very basic today, very, very basic, very important. Receiving the gospel, understanding and accepting the gospel is as easy as Sorry, kids, but you're going back to school this week. <laughs> but it's as easy as A, B, C. That's how you, it's so simple that a child can understand it. It's so simple that, 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 that any one of us can, can fully understand and grasp this here today. And it's as simple as the ABCs. First of all, A, admitting. Admitting that you are a sinner, that you have fallen short, that God's standard is perfection, God's standard is holiness, and none of us can attain that. None of us have reached that or will ever reach it. Even cute little Ezra Jack, he is so cute. But you know what? They're going to start seeing, if they haven't seen already, they're going to see some of Kevin's character in him. They're going to see him be stubborn at times and maybe get a little angry at times because he doesn't get what he wants. Mom, feed me now. And he's going to let the whole family know, I'm ready. You know, and, and I mean, the, we are born with a sinful nature. We are born condemned. And so we admit this, that we have all fallen short. And a verse, I'd encourage you to write this down. This is simple. You can use this this week in your own life. You can share this truth with others that, that, that God may bring up across your path. First of all, A, admitting that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 reminds us for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But then you move on to the B, believe. Believe that God loves you. A great verse to go to, John 3, 16. Very popular, very, you know, well-known verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Do you believe that God sent his son Jesus? Do you believe that God loves you so much that he sent his son? And so it's believing in Jesus, believing in the work that he has done. And then see, simply not, and on a regular basis, continually confessing our sins. Confess our sins. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is when we come to Christ, he forgives us. And as we continue to walk in Christ, he continues as we come to him in confession and repentance on a daily basis in, the, in confessing those areas where we have fallen short of God's standard. And then, encourage, and, and so, write down confess and the verse, 1 John 1, 9. And then you can also add in there Romans 10, 9, because it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart, that, Christ raised, with a Christ raised, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A, B, C's. It's as simple as that. That is the gospel. That is what Christ has done. This is life changing. This is eternity changing. This is good news. And so the gospel is good news. Do I get an amen on that? Amen. Yeah. 
And then second of all, the gospel is trustworthy. Verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. See, see the priority here that Paul's putting on, on this? He's saying, get this, this is important. This is essential. For what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And so, the gospel is something that is trustworthy. And, and here's some, some very simple points beyond that, or, or with that. Jesus lived. Jesus was a historical figure here on the face of this earth. Secular historians and documents agree that Jesus lived here on this earth. You cannot deny that. Recently, I heard of a Bible school professor from Western Canada, not even a professor, actually a president of a Bible college um, in Western Canada, um, say in front of a crowd of people, he says, you know, Jesus could have saved himself a whole bunch of trouble if he would have just been born as he was, you know, virgin birth, born, you know, in Bethlehem, and then if, if, if they would have just allowed Herod to kill him. That would have been God's sacrifice. That would have been enough. That is complete heresy what he's believing because Christ had to come and not only be born on this earth, live on this earth, live his 33 and a half years out here on this earth because we understand in, in Hebrews 4.15 that we have now a high priest. Jesus can relate to everything that you and I go through. He lived here on the face of this earth as an actual human being facing trials, facing temptations, and in that was without sin. No blemish, no mark. That made him the perfect sacrifice for us. He was the second Adam. He is the one that had to live and show his power, his authority over nature, over the demonic world, over, um, over sickness, over death. We see him, him, him with the power and the strength for that. And so now we have a high priest that we can understand. He's walked in our shoes. And so when you are faced with discouragement, betrayal, hurt, people have been talking about you in, in a way that isn't right. You have a high priest you can go to. You can go to Jesus because he has faced everything that you and I have faced. And he is worthy. And so, you know, when, when you go through um, the hard stuff of life, it's always so helpful to be able to learn from somebody ahead of you. And someone who's walked the path. And, and, and just with Kevin and Tara's little one being born and, and men at, at the men's breakfast on Friday talking a bit about some of the uh, labors that we've all had to go through with uh, our wives giving birth. And, you know, it's a tough job for, for us men, you know, and in many ways. And, 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 and yet when it's that first time, especially for the moms, oftentimes it's so nice to have somebody there, a doctor, a nurse, a midwife, a Sometimes us husbands aren't very much help when it comes to that. I know when, when our little ones were born, I was into that gas stuff that they had for her. Like, I'm like, I need another shot of it. I need another shot of it. Because it was just like, I mean, it was just too much, <laughs> too much for me to handle. And so it was very, very helpful to, you know, to, to have some of those aids my way. You know, but for Charlotte to have her mom around and to help her maneuver through this whole new experience was, was very, very helpful. When we go through certain trials and that, it's so good to go to somebody who's walked where we've walked. Jesus has walked where we've walked. He's trustworthy. We can go to him at any time. And he is someone who can relate to what we've gone through. You see, I need a high priest. I need someone like him that I can run to 24-7 at any time. And he is there. He lived here on the face, the face of this earth and was without sin. It's a fact. Jesus lived. 
But then we also know that Jesus also, he lived, but he also died. Can we get, there we go, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and even write down, encourage you to be writing this down, he was buried. Write that down, that's super important, we'll get to that in a moment. Three, last part of verse 3, it says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Christ, in the life Death, burial, resurrection, 300 prophecies about Christ fulfilled. First of all, they were anticipated in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. Verse 4, it says that he was buried. Paul just didn't say that Jesus died. He emphasized he was buried because there was oftentimes a lot of criticism or a lot of little speculation going on that Jesus didn't actually die. No, what Paul is basically saying here in these verses, he's dead, gone, kicked the bucket, worm food, expired, passed on, perished, to push up daisies, he's curtains, deceased, departed, dead as a doornail. He is saying he's dead. For three days, he was buried. He was gone because skeptics were saying, "You you know what actually happened to Jesus? He had a rough day on the cross. And so... You know, they put him in the grave, they wrapped him in the grave clothes, and that cool air in the grave just kind of helped to resuscitate him. And so he didn't really die because for him to truly rise from the dead, just that gives all the credibility to Christianity right there. And so for, for centuries, People have been trying to nullify that. And and that's why Paul, even in Paul's day, they were saying, well, did Jesus really die? And he's saying, he died, was buried, like he was gone. He was out. But then we have the good news that Jesus rose again. Verse 4, last part of it, it says, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, it was all called way ahead of time. It was all planned according to God's agenda and his plan he conquered sin he conquered death his body his bones nowhere to be found on this day because he is now ascended to heaven and Paul then goes to talk to tell us a number of resurrection appearances and he says oh yeah and 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 just to prove the resurrection just to make sure you know where it's at verse 5 that he appeared to Cephas And then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of all uh, whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's not talking about church, about falling asleep. You know, sometimes that may happen. I I think we're going to keep the air conditioner going really good in here Sunday after Sunday to make sure you don't fall asleep in your nice comfy seats that you get to sit in here. Um, No, basically he's saying the falling asleep means they died. Just don't die in here, okay? You know, that just wouldn't be a good, I mean, go to heaven, good thing, but just would make for a kind of a, a poor ending to our service. Um, anyways, most of all who are still alive, those, um, though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all, the, to all the apostles. Powerful historical facts that cannot be eliminated or evaded that Jesus Christ lived here on this earth. He died, he was buried, he rose again. And these facts have changed history, but more than that, it changes lives. And that is the third thing, the gospel is life-changing. Look at verse 8, Paul is talking about, um, about the resurrection appearances, as I've just read, as he appeared to the 12, Cephas, um, to more than 500, um, and then he goes on, last of all, 
as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Powerful words there. This statement this week as I was going over this passage, I kept coming back to this one, one kind of statement that just kind of bothered with me or just made me want to dig further and say, okay, what does that mean? What does this statement mean? When Paul said, he says, untimely born, that Jesus appeared to him as one that was untimely born. King James Version puts, born out of due time. Basically, it means born at the wrong time. In the understanding of, of the Greek language, and you do a little study on this, Paul is basically, he, he's using a very despicable term in describing himself and his life. He's basically saying, my life was an accident. My life was a mistake. What a failure, what a loser, what a mess up, what a screw up I am. And yet, God saved me. He appeared to me and changed my life. Paul was reminded of the weight of his past sin, of his persecuting the church, persecuting and killing Christians. You can read about his story, the end of Acts chapter 8 and into Acts 9. And then in the most likely season of his life, at the most un, you know, at unforeseen time, he was born again. He was changed. He was transformed by the gospel. He had heard about Christ. He heard these truths about the good news. He had heard that he's trying to stamp that out. He's trying to stop it. He knew that, had heard the truths that the gospel was trustworthy and, and, and that Jesus had lived, that he died and that he rose again and, and, and he didn't like what was going on with that. And then all of a sudden, his life is dramatically changed. Just outside the city of Damascus, he had the papers from the emperor. He had the papers in hand that gave him the right to go into Damascus and start to create terror and to start to round up Christians, throw them in jail, kill them, do whatever he wanted. He was able to do that. He had that kind of power. And just outside of the city walls, Jesus showed up. He was saved and his life would never be the same. He went from going as a persecutor of the church to a church planter, builder, pastor, writer, Folks, that same Jesus that saved Paul then saves people today. He has saved many of us here in this room. I have no doubt that many of you here know Christ. He can save you here today if you don't know him in a way that we've been talking about here this morning. Your life, for many of you, this would be the story. You were heading in one direction and then Jesus changed and transformed your life. Someone perhaps invited you to church. You went to a summer camp. You saw something online. You went to a crusade or some kind of a rally or whatever it might be. Or maybe it was in the depths of despair that you cried out to God. Remember this one story of, of, some de of a dear friend of ours back in, in Alberta where we pastored. This, this lady was living just far away from God. She, had grown, she grew up in a Christian home but just had become very cynical, had very much turned her back on God. And, and one day she, she was uh, 
doing her nails and she was watching the morning news and, and her nails were wet and, and the TV clicker was, was just off to the side and all of a sudden this really bad Christian broadcast came on that came on and started talking about Jesus and she was so ticked off but she couldn't, she was too conscious about her nails and not wanting to ruin them because they were rather lengthy or whatever that she couldn't change the channel and that TV stayed on and the words that were being spoken on there, transformed her life. She responded to Jesus. Next thing you know, she didn't care about her, her nails. She was on her knees, and she was confessing her sin before God, and her life was radically transformed and changed, and she hasn't looked back. She wasn't expecting that that day that she got up. Maybe you're here today, and you just expected, yeah, I'll go to church today. I'll get in. I'll get out. You know what? Go and live out the rest of the long weekend. Prepare for fall 2015 and just kind of move on. And today, maybe this is the day that you are to respond to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been in church for a long time, but you've never responded to Christ. Maybe you were invited here today, and today may be that time, that un timely time that you didn't see coming today and your life has been transformed many of us can say that in our lives that christ has changed he has transformed but oftentimes this is one thing i face an awful lot especially with what's going on in our world today i'm too rotten i'm too evil i've done too much my past is too stained there is no way that god could ever accept me folks that is a lie. That is an extreme lie from the enemy who doesn't want you to experience the freedom of Christ. I love the words of the old hymn that I was going through my head this past week. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. I've told people, I've had people tell me, I've killed people. I killed people for the military. I've done things that I'm very much ashamed of in my past. God could never forgive me. That is not true one little bit. God forgives any one of us. We sing that old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. Every one of us. Paul said that he was born out of due time, but God saw it all the way. His life was not an accident, not a mistake. Jesus saved Paul there on that road and he can save us today and if we are already in Christ, he wants to continue to keep saving and doing that work of the gospel in and through us. You see, Paul, when he experienced Christ and you know when you've truly, authentically experienced Christ is that you turn from your sin. He didn't go back, he didn't even think twice about going back and persecuting the church. He experienced Jesus, the authentic, the real Jesus. And it wasn't about trying to live one foot in the world and one side out of the world. He didn't want anything to do with that anymore. It was all Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's where I'm going. I want to live for him. I want to serve him. And even though at times he faced great struggles and his life was not easy, he knew who he believed. He knew who he experienced. And it was the king of kings. It was Jesus. Paul, on a daily basis, needed to remind his hearers as well as himself of this truth of the gospel. He needed to keep coming back to it to deal with his own sinful heart. Because once we're saved, once we know Christ, we're still going to struggle. We're still going to have 
um, areas of, of sin and temptation. We're going to fall. There's an epic battle that goes on. And, and in, in Romans chapter 7, and this is the mature Paul. This is Paul the pastor, the church planner, the guy who's, who's writing, writing books uh, of the Bible. I mean, and, and he's talking, Romans 7, I mean, about his epic struggle with his own sin. I love that one because that's, at times, my struggle. The things I do, I don't want to do. And the things that I don't do, I do. And, and, and then he ends up, oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, sinful man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of sin? And then he, what does he say? But thanks be to God. The gospel continues to show up in his life. Not only saves him, but it continues to transform him and give him power and victory over sin and temptation that comes our way. Paul ran from his former life. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. Everything changed for him. In Christ, he understood he was a new creation. The old was gone, the new has come. And if you are a child of God here today, if you've been redeemed by his blood, if you have been forgiven by his grace, you haven't just been forgiven, you've been called to a new way of living, a whole new way of living. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was a German pastor who actually gave his life for the gospel. He made this statement. He said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. We are to do God's will. It is because of the gospel, because of these first 10 verses. And then he goes on in the bulk of the chapter to talk about the resurrection of Christ. And he talks about our future resurrection. But then he says that last verse, so in all of this, folks, because you've lived, died, rise again. That's what happened to Jesus. That's what's happened to you spiritually. You've been living one way. You die to your sin. You die to your old way of life. You rise again in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do that on a daily basis. It's also the picture of what will happen to us in the future, that you're living here on this earth. You will die. You will be buried, but you will rise again. This is the picture of the gospel. And he says, because of this, this is the reason why we stay steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because it's not in vain. It's forever. It's for eternity. This is the truth that is needed in our lives today. This is the truth not just for someone who doesn't know Christ. This is for the person here who's known Christ for two years, 25 years, or 55 years. Paul is saying, don't forget the sacrifice on the cross. That our right standing before God has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. You receive the gospel past tense. We need the gospel today to stand firm in present tense. And we will need the gospel in the future when pride and arrogance and self-righteousness and self-reliance starts to creep into our lives. This morning, I want to invite you to the table, the Lord's Supper, that is a reminder of Christ's sacrifice. In fact, this is a a command that Jesus gave us to give, and I'm going to ask people to prepare themselves for that, the communion servers and the band. And I want to invite you to the table this morning. It's going to be served here um, to you in your seats, and, and this is for believers in Christ. This is a time where we're going to worship him. We're going to spend time in prayer and confession of our own sin just between you and God. If if you're not a believer, you're not sure, you can just let it go by. Or maybe it's just been one of those days and where your heart is at. You just need to worship and you don't need to partake of, of the bread and the cup with us. Just let it go by. That's okay. 
Parents, strongly encourage to make sure that your children have a good understanding of the gospel, of the ABCs, that they've done that in their lives like we talked about. Kids, it's, this is an important thing for, for, for those that have done these ABCs, not the school ABCs, but the gospel ABCs. This is for us. This is a way that we remember. And, and here at Harvest, there's, there's two cups, one under the other. And as you pull out the bottom one, there's a wafer. And, and then in the top, of course, there is the grape juice. You can just take and, and it's going to be passed out. You're going to remain um, seated here right now. And it's going to be passed out to you. And you can even start at this time. Um, gentlemen, just start passing it out. And, uh, and then in a few moments, we'll partake together. And so spend some time as you hold onto that cup and prayers of confession and repentance before God. This is the moment that we're reminded of his grace and together as God's family gathered here together, 
we partake and we celebrate what Christ has done. We're reminded that God hasn't lost his patience with us. We're reminded that he is for us, not against us. We're reminded that because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done, he makes all things new day after day after day. We're reminded that he enters into our mess and he brings healing. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for this reality. And, and as the body of Christ gathered here together this morning, you've given us a mission to push back the darkness here in this world and to be on mission for you as a church, as individuals, as families. And Lord, so oftentimes we get so disgusted by what's going on in our world and we don't pray and, and ask you to change and transform our world. I believe heaven's going to reveal to us a list of faithful people who were praying for the salvation of Saul of Tarsus, a terrorist getting ready to unleash new attacks upon the church and was dramatically saved. Lord, I pray that out of this room here there would be people each one of us, we would call out for the salvation of the members of ISIS, getting ready to launch further attacks, ultimately against your name. Father, those people who attack us in this world, whether it be a family member or a co-worker, may we pray that the powerful light of the gospel would shine into their lives and Maybe they're already saved. Father, may they get an understanding of the gospel in a fresh way in their own life and be filled with grace and mercy and an attitude of confession and repentance. Lord, do that work. And for each one of us, Lord, continue to keep doing that work of the gospel in our lives this fall as a church. May we never become proud and self-reliant and think we can do it on our own continue to rely on you and knowing that you are the God who sustains, you are the God who transforms in your way, but we come with bended and humble hearts towards you. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus was arrested, he took bread and he broke it and he says, this bread is my broken body for you. Let's partake together of the bread. After the meal that night, he took the cup and he blessed the cup and he said, this blood is the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Lord Jesus, even together is we're worshiping you here as we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we're making some declarations that you would be king in each one of our lives, that it is through Christ alone, it is nothing by our merit, anything, the family we've grown up in, the 
country we live in, the status we've been able to build around us, none of that matters. It's all you, Jesus. None of that saves. It's you and you alone. And it's you and you alone until the end to to give us an eternity with you forever. That's going to be incredible. But until then, we've got our work to do. But we have a friend that sticks closer to the bro- as a brother than in you, Lord Jesus, and thank you. You don't leave us alone. May we continue to keep turning to you. And even now, may we worship you in spirit and truth with our hearts of thanksgiving. If you'd like prayer for something, there's room up here in the front aisle or the second aisle here. Love you to come. We'd love to have a word of prayer with you as we worship. We're going to sing. We've got to worship. We join our hearts together and make some declarations here this morning.